Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Elixir Mix. Again, this week without Charles. So, I'm Sasha Wolf, and this week on the panel we have Adi Eingar. Hello. And Alan Weimer. Hello. I hope I pronounced your both names both right. This week we actually gonna pick a topic from Twitter. Like so, a while ago I asked on Twitter what's something people would be interested in and to hear about in Elixir Mix. And Kevin Stingen basically asked us to talk about. Elixir is a general purpose language, or aka how to convince people that Elixir is not this niche thing you only reach for when you have like these super specific concurrency issues, but that it's actually something you can use in the same way, like for people reach for Rails, for example, and then you can go from there. And just before we started recording, we, we, we considered talking about this, and then we also th thought, okay, Let's look at like Phoenix, for example, because Phoenix is something you can get productive with quite easily. And I'd like to hear like your thoughts on that, Adi. Like when you started with Elixir, like how was the story there? Did you like jump into Phoenix, for example, right away? And, and how did it feel for you? I remember working my tail off to become a senior developer. I read every book I could get my hands on. I went to any conference I could and watched the videos about the things that I thought I needed to learn. And eventually, I got that senior developer job. And then I realized that the rest of my career looked just like where I was now. I mean, where was the rush I got from learning? What was I supposed to do to keep growing? And then I found it. I got the chance to mentor some developers. I started a podcast and helped many more developers. I did screencasts and helped even more developers. I kind of became a dev hero. And now I want to help you become one too. And if you're looking forward to something more, than doing the same thing at a different job three years from now, then join the Dev Heroes Accelerator. I'll walk you through the process of building and growing a following and finding people that you can uniquely help as you build the next stage of your career. You can learn more at devheroesaccelerator.com. Yeah, yeah, Elixir for me actually, it's my first uh, professional like coding job was in Elixir, luckily. And yeah, I think that like kind of statement should be enough in terms of how general purpose, how easily accessible it is. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't really have to touch the OTP, the gen server part or any any kind of OTP stuff for like a while. Um, I did start with um, plugs. At that time, Phoenix was like still, I think, I don't know if 1.0 was out at that time, but my first Elixir app was like just a plug-based backend API. And again, just how plug looks, it's pretty straightforward to write up, use. And they right away had support for Cowboy as well. So it was, again, pretty easy to follow along with the documentation and just get a server up and running within a couple hours. So yeah, I had a very pleasant experience with Elixir. And so you said that you didn't have a lot of things to do with OTP at that point in time. Like, was there like anything specific in that first app you, you learned Elixir with, like where you then at some point reached for OTP? And is it like a story there to be told or rather not? There there is definitely a story there. Uh, the app was actually uh, re replacing a small uh, functionality of a huge Rails app. That And that small functionality was something that the CTO of my company at that time envisioned to, you know, kind of be more scalable. And it, it was an experiment for us to try writing that in Elixir. And initially, we didn't do any OTP, but first thing that we did was just adding tasks to that and then this experimented with Poolboy and everything, but it matured to a point where we had, with a sophisticated infrastructure, we had it in a place where, you know, we didn't, they not only had a great 
amount of concurrency with different workers doing different things. But we had we also were spinning in temporary infrastructure, like a super server in uh, Google Cloud, with I think I think it was like what 128 gigs of RAM temporarily to process a huge. Uh, again, without giving a lot of business information, a huge chunk of data. And yeah, it became a pretty crazy app by 2019. <laughs> but yeah, uh, the first iteration of that in 2015 was just a simple plug REST server, no concurrency, nothing. Well, each request was concurrent, but yeah, besides that, there was no OTP whatsoever. Yeah, but that's pretty similar to, to my personal experience. Like, I mean, I, I didn't start from Plug, but I, I jumped right into Phoenix when I, when I first used Elixir at my... A previous employer where, where also like my first contact with Felixia, right? And there we also like at the beginning just had like this Phoenix app. And if you have, have at any point written some kind of backend code, like be it Rails, be it like PHP, Laravel, a lot of things feel very familiar. So you, you all this OTP stuff at that point feels a lot like magic. And but you don't you don't have to use it like to just write an endpoint and to just get, I don't know, like a response back to the to the user. So, so I feel like there is a lot of a lot to be said about um, the ease of onboarding there, and like not having to to jump the gun on all the the maybe more uncommon and maybe more weird OTP things uh, the Beam offers, which is super powerful, but can be quite confusing for newcomers, right? Definitely. Like Alan, do you do you have like any any story you'd like to to share about how your first contact was with Elixir and like what you did with it? That's a good question. I'm trying to think of what my first interaction was. I think I may share the same interaction as most people where you kind of came in from Phoenix side in that like you didn't really get too much exposure to OTP when you're using Phoenix because a lot of stuff's kind of abstracted from you. Like even I'm thinking about like when I'm first looking at the application EX file that gets created and it's not super clear like what's going on. You just have a bunch of stuff we see that gets started up, but you don't really understand exactly what's going on. You don't really see like the endpoint, all these kind of things. And, yeah, and coming from Rails, like I think most people did that. I didn't really think too much about a lot of things. I just kind of try to keep things, yeah, just just in line. I mean, when I started Phoenix, that was way back. We had like the web folder that was outside of the lib folder. If you remember that, that was yeah. a long time ago. That, that was, was before my time. Yeah. That was pre one point three, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So I think I came in about one point two or something, and yeah. So it was a it was a different time back then. Also, you had like what was it? It was weird. Like you didn't have a schema, right? You had something else, like a model. Instead. They called it models. Yeah, it was actually models using contr uh, controllers and templates, I guess. Yeah. So, and I, I remember like a lot of one of the things that a lot of people in the Elixir community who did not come from Rails community didn't like was that why are we calling the schemas models? <laughs> so. Then we then I saw Phoenix moving away from that. I think 1.3, that's what introduced the bounded contexts, uh, right? The context modules that are now. Well, I mean, the, the the part is that it actually made it more approachable for me, at least, because I did understand MVC and they were really pushing MVC at that time, I think, like with the different folders. So that, that was much easier for me. And so I didn't really get too into OTP for some time. I had to spend time outside and just kind of look into it. I kept hearing about OTP and then I just had to go through like Sasha's, Sasha's book, a uh, little OTP book. These two books for sure were definitely my early intros to it. And then I could start to see that there's definitely some powers over here. Also, Dave, Dave's book from Prague Prague was also really good too. Like the fact like I could spin off a bunch of like asynchronous processes, thought that was super powerful. Like uh, these things. So like, it took some time for me to really get into, you know, what I wanted to do. And after spending quite a bit of time, like getting into it, then I started actually adding it to projects for things like 
I had to process webhooks and you had to return response within, response within a certain amount of time. So initially that was actually synchronous and uh, it started taking longer and longer. And then finally we said, okay, let's try to spin off this as a process and let's just return immediately. And that definitely uh, was amazing. It was crazy like because we went from like a couple seconds to like now, like uh, what is it, like 72, like that U symbol, was that microseconds? So that was... Yeah, that's, that's microseconds, yeah. Yeah, that was super powerful. And then like we had this third party, so like we got a webhook and we had to ask them like what happened. So uh, we're working with Strava. Strava would send us a webhook saying, hey, this a user has an activity. And then we would reply back, hey, tell me more about the activity. And Strava would actually fall apart. It would just like die whenever we asked them. And so that actually brought us into another stage of OTP where if it failed, let it we, we let it crash and we just retry it. And we actually built in like a retry mechanism too. So that was also super helpful because they were experiencing a lot of growth issues at the time. So it, it's really a, a gradual process to me that just like add in this layer, add in that layer. So it wasn't very overwhelming, but at the same time, like because of the approachability of Phoenix, especially at that time to where I was coming from, it was really straightforward, I think, for the most part. Yeah, I think that's a very common like story, right? Because you start off with like air quotes, just a web app. And then you at some point say, okay, I would like some background processing. Like this thing over here, it takes too long. Let's let's move into the background. And then like if you would be using Rails, you would reach for something like Sidekick. But in Elixir, then 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 OTP and like abstractions built on top of that just in reach, right? And you, you can then, then go very naturally transition into, okay, how exactly is this supposed to work? And what can I use here? And on what guarantees does this give me? And explore basically what, what OTP provides you very, very gently from, from there. I think the, the funny thing now is like, okay, you'd reach for Sidekick. There was a Sidekick implementation in Elixir. And then people said, okay, don't, you don't need that. But now it's funny, like we're almost reaching for another Sidekick nowadays, like the, the Open library. Not to knock an Open. Open is fantastic, right? But it's funny that actually now we're back to doing something similar. Although now you don't have to actually add in another dependency. You don't have to add in like uh, Redis. You just work off the same database. That's the nice part. But I was just thinking, like, it's kind of funny, like, we were necessarily almost full circle, right? It's like, okay, you don't need Sidekick, or sorry, you don't need Redis, okay? You don't need, like, a background managing tool for background processes. You could just spin up a process, use a supervisor, and now it's like, okay, now it's just farming out to open. <laughs> so it's kind of like full circle again. Yeah, I think you can bit of a bit of observe like the development in the community there because I mean, open is great if you have persistent jobs, right? Like which should should survive a restart of your app. But sometimes like that's not something you need. And in the beginning, I, I think a lot of people were like, "Oh, OTP and like that's cool. Like, what, what can we do with it?" And I mean, the, the other folks would probably say like, "Yeah, that's that's an old hat." But for the Elixir community, it was like, hey, maybe we don't need all that other stuff we we, we, we used in, in our programming language. Let's try to do it all like in the VM itself. But now that a bit of time has passed, I guess it makes sense that, that we have now a solution like Open, which says, okay, like sometimes you really want this persistent queue. Sometimes you really want these persistent jobs. And while, you might, while there might be solutions to doing that in the side of a VM, it's just, I quote, simpler to use a database you're probably already using. I guess it tells a story about like the Elixir community maturing and um, trying to do the, the simplest thing. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I do. I really like the fact that Oban has become like the standard these days. <laughs> it, 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 whenever I have tried to use OTP within 
the application I am in to store the state of jobs, it it has always been hard to manage that, especially with like crashes and stuff. It's a lot easier to think of your data as separate from your app. It, I'm not saying it's impossible and Erlang is built for that, but it's just easier to manage things, you know? <laughs> and like, it won't conflict with your infrastructure and how you deploy and all that stuff, right? Yeah, it reminds me, I think it's like in the, in the book of Sasha Yurik, there's like this this table about like, what what you need, for example, to run like a web server and like persistence and so on and so forth, like in in, in like a language like Ruby or, or Python or whatever. And it's like okay, you you have to invest like web server will be for example in the Ruby land will be like how is it called? It's Puma, right? And then you have Rails for the web app, and then you have Redis for like the queue, and you have Postgres for persistence, and then you have Nginx for like web routing and so on and so forth. And then yeah. there's like this, yep, this, yep. this table on the other side, like, with the beam. It's like Olympm, 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 It's like while it's a bit tongue in cheek, there is some truth to that, and it's, it's, I think it's interesting to see like how the community pushes in that direction, and like so it makes sense that in the beginning you had a bunch of job queues which we did all inside of the VM because like hey this is like a, a direction the community tends to push because it reduces complexity, less dependencies means less complexity, and. But yeah, like I said before, like sometimes you really want these persistent jobs, and then it's it's good to have an opt a project like Oban, which I think is, has has been a godsend for a lot of people. Sure, yeah, I agree. Have I? I'm, I'm trying to remember. I feel like I don't know if this was production or not. I do remember using debts for a more persistent. Uh, we were already using Erlang, uh, the Erlang term storage and the, the disk-based Erlang term storage was something I remember exploring. I'm not sure if it was in production for too long at all because we moved to Oban very quickly after that, but and which just made our life a lot simpler. <laughs> but so, so was that something like you, you homebrewed in, in your company? Like Yeah. Or? Yeah. We already had a job processing thing that was already half-baked. We were using a gen server to track that and then we realized oh we uh and as it became more complicated we needed like more like table like infrastructure right and then we switched to ets and then we realized oh we need this to persist beyond the application crashes and whatnot so then we moved to debts and then i'm like wait there's this new thing called oban and at, i i, I want to say that we did have debts for some time in production but very little like probably like a month or so but it wasn't much of a effort to move from already implemented you know ets to yeah. and like for our listeners just again like ets like this rolling term storage we mentioned it in a few past episodes but it's basically like a in-memory key value table and that is basically like the same thing but it saves every the contents on a file on disk so then you actually can have persistence across uh, restarts of your app just in case somebody's not familiar with it, we can like link to the docs, I guess, in the show yeah. notes. Great. The, the best part about Ed's is that you get to use its amazing query. I look up language. <laughs> I, I, I'm not sure if you've tried that, Sasha. It's, yes, it's, I, I have. <laughs> amazing wouldn't have been the, the adjective <laughs> I, I would be using there. <laughs> I was definitely being, I was definitely being sarcastic over here. Yeah, it um, was hell. <laughs> I mean, there, there there are some some helpers there, right? Like with fun to um, ms, which is like fun to match spec. So you right. can basically pass right. it like a function, and then it like somehow automatically parses these the, these guards or these pattern matches you specify. Like that's a lot better already. Yes, <laughs> totally. Yeah. But yeah, match specs interesting. Let's just say that <laughs> I have written some. I have written some. Like the, the simple simple match specs are okay, but that's as soon as it gets like even remotely complex. 
<laughs> it's even worse than regular expressions. <laughs> yeah, agreed. Hundred percent agreed. <laughs> but yeah, it just just to reiterate, I feel like that there there is a very natural transition to say, okay, like I want to start like my web project, right? And I, I just use Phoenix, and then I write some controllers, and then I write some code here, and some some maybe some actor if I have a database, and I don't have to care about ODP, but as, as soon as you like want to step out of that 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 i'm not sure like the, the safe zone like this the sandbox then then otp is there like and allows you to like reach for for things beyond the this air quotes uh, simple and easy phoenix stuff and i must say like my personally my experience has been very very positive there because i mean i, I remember um trying to step out of like this safe zone in other languages like be they backend or even like front-end code and then i feel like the experience is often that that you bump into like weird walls and weird edges like you didn't expect to bump into because like then suddenly you, you try to do things outside of the scope of the framework right yeah. and then things become very very hard all of a sudden with, without especially like when you when you try to like do this for the first time and you don't really understand what, why things don't work as you might expect them to i very much remember like my, my very first web app was actually like a php thing with like laravel and then we wanted to send like a push notification and to a bunch of users and like i i was like looking at this and i was like thinking okay i'd like to do that in the background right because like it might go through like thousands and thousands of devices right. and, and suddenly i was like looking okay then you have to like you have to start this daemon which like handles your php background process and i was like what the fuck why is this so hard <laughs> right and yeah i, I feel like at least in, in that in that context elixir gives a very more a more streamlined and a more uh, simple solution to do these these common issues without you having to like really grok all, all the things and like one interesting thing i noticed for myself there was as soon as like I, I got like a basic understanding of otp i could also very much appreciate about okay how, how does phoenix actually work right like how you have one process per request yeah and like, it, it, like I feel like all the pieces like snap together. So but, but that's pretty, pretty interesting. And like uh, something I have not yet experienced in the same fashion in, in a different technology stack, but maybe like my mic, maybe something like that will, will pop up at some time. Hey, folks, if you love this podcast and would like to support the show, or if you wish you could listen without the sponsorship messages, then you're in luck. We're setting up new premium podcast feeds where you can get all of the episodes released after Christmas 2020 without the ads. Signing up will help us pay for editing and production, and you can go sign up at devchat.tv slash premium. Yeah, totally, totally, yeah. It's actually Cowboy, if I want to say. I think Cowboy itself, every yeah, request is a probably, is, yeah. its own process, which is, uh, I think Phoenix just like piggybacks off of that, which is uh, yeah, and pretty awesome. Yeah, I mean, yeah, totally right about, again, the point you made about before diving into OTP. And I mean, there's also Elixir, as a community has so many cool i mean we're not even gonna we haven't even touched nerves yet but like something as simple as like the embedded elixir engine yeah. right that is so powerful like yeah yeah it, it can just power your anything you want to template like, like here's an example right this is before i did any little any i might have done very little otp but like before i delved into otp i wrote this devops like app it basically sets up a linux or a mac with like all the tools I want, you know, I used to Vim, the terminal I want, Zoom and whatever. It just, 
and I'm using Elixir for stuff like that. It's, it looks weird, but it was so easy to do that because of embedded Elixir. Writing shared templates was so easy to do. And Elixir is such an accessible language. Yes, you have to figure out how to install it first. <laughs> but once you install Elixir, once you got it running in a nice script, it's very powerful because its interface is like so idiomatic, right? Like it, it's, it's so easy to use, uh, like most of the, the libraries and uh, the language itself. Yeah, and the, and the tooling, and like the, the tooling is just superb. Right. And I feel like the onboarding experience in Elixir, like even like just going through the guides on, on the Elixir web website drop, drops you off at a point where, at least for my, me, I personally very feel relatively comfortable in, in like tackling your first Elixir yeah, app. Yeah. Like not, not really like diving into like, uh, like if, I don't know, like writing like web server from scratch, right? But like really, right. okay, I feel like I know enough to, to be productive to actually build something. Yeah. And... That, that yeah. I think that tells a story where about where Elixir comes from, right? I mean, if, uh, just look at where what Jose did before Elixir. Like he was very, very active in the Ruby community. Right. And Ruby has this mantra and like this reputation and very well earned reputation about being approachable and about being like easy to pick up and like uh, focusing on developer happiness. And you really see this in Elixir that that, that a lot of these the same ideas have evolved to a certain degree, but also went into the design of this language and the design of the tooling and the design of the onboarding experience. And while still learning for maybe like some of the of the things which haven't worked out that nicely in the Ruby community, because I mean a lot of people who do Elixir come from Ruby. That's just a very natural transition. And at least in Ruby, sometimes you have a situation where if you have a very big monolith, which revolved over time, then you have all these like different parts which like magically touch each other. And then it becomes very hard to reason about right. things. And that's like something I think you can see in Elixir where like Jose had very, very, very deliberate design decisions to to avoid some of these pitfalls. So... Yeah, totally. I, I think one of the things that I, I guess I'm again being in a more more of a unique place where I actually did Elixir before Ruby on Rails. I delivered my production app and uh, Elixir before I did Ruby on Rails. Yeah. I didn't even Phoenix before Rails. Yeah, they were both the same there. I also have have hadn't done Ruby before I did Elixir. Oh, awesome! <laughs> so I, I, I guess all the listeners cannot tell us like you don't know shit. <laughs> <laughs> But what I what I really felt was, I mean, yes, Elixir and Phoenix did feel like magic still to some extent, but a lot less magic than Ruby on Rails. Like you have that endpoint.exe, you still have the application.exe, you still have the user channel.exe, even though you don't need to use that code, no one touches it ever. You can you still have this more explicitness in the interface. Also, I think by design in Elixir too, like there, you can do a lot of it's, the meta programming is very powerful, but it restricts you from doing things that you shouldn't do. For example, opening up a class and defining functions yeah, yeah, that are yeah. not defined in it, right? Like Rails does that all the time. And the only the craziest thing you can do is like use the on definition hook, or the compile compile time hook in Elixir, yeah. and like you know do something but, weird there. It, but even with that, it restricts you from defining or creating a new function. Yeah, it's yeah, very restrictive. I, yeah, I just wanted to say, like, uh, the on-definition uh, callback is actually very interesting because, like, it's deliberately, uh, like, when you write it, it's deliberately a function you have to write. You can't write a macro yeah, there. Exactly. So you can't inject code there. You can only, right. like, I don't know, like, track something. Like, that's a very, very deliberate design decision because I think 
all the other compi compilation callbacks are all macros. Only the on definition is a function. Right. And just I, I think both, probably just to avoid this right. exactly this kind of magic behavior, which yeah. would otherwise be very hard to, to wrap your head around. Totally. Yeah, I think the before compile and after compile can be both um, both macros and functions, but you're right. Yeah, on definition is can only be a function. Yeah. So yeah, that's like a very interesting uh, yeah. design tidbit. Definitely. I, mean, <laughs> I feel like it's probably also something like you can see that okay, somebody has made this decision probably because they have been burned by something working differently before. Right, right, exactly. I think the whole, if you look at the Elixir proposals group, school groups, it, it, you can see how protective people are of like yeah. bad patterns in the community. Like you, you, a lot of times, if you suggest something that could be potentially off, you don't have to wait to see Jose's opinion. Like so many other <laughs> yeah. just bounce off and like, oh, what about this? What about that? And it just, it's a very, very positive involved community that's you know jose has managed to create you know, jose and everyone else like where there's so many people who just like inherently care about the language and have yeah. to actively monitor google groups even without being in the elixir core team which is quite amazing yeah i agree 100 yeah i think it's it's like an interesting balance which has been which elixir has been striking like where you can get productive relatively quickly. I've seen that happen. I've seen that happen with colleagues uh, picking up Elixir for the very first time. And like a lot of people are like, oh, it's a functional language. I'm not sure how productive I'll be. But if you like drop them into like a Phoenix project and then tell them, hey, go through the, um, through the getting started guys of Elixir and then just look at the code and you, you figure things out. My experience has been that people become a lot quicker productive than they might have expect, expected initially just by this being a functional language. And yeah, I mean, then, then, then we said that, that, that you have this, this natural transition about, okay, now I want to reach for something more. I want to do background processing. And and there, the Elixir community is also very helpful. Like uh, if you just ask a question, the Elixir forum, people will, will very quickly give you an answer and, and help you figure things out. So yes, it's an interesting, interesting balance, which I think the, the, the core team and the community is, is striking between, okay, easy to onboard, but but still powerful if you want it to be. One thing I wanted to say like earlier when we, when we talked about Phoenix is I, I agree that like Phoenix can feel a lot, quite some, quite magic when you, when you begin with it. But what I found is when you then just start to, to, to pull back the curtain, right? So to, and then like see, okay, well, what's actually happening beneath all that magic? It's not a lot, to be honest. I mean, you have like the plug pipeline, then you have to grok, okay, what's actually a plug and like how does that work and like how how do these like plug macro and so on and so forth work. But at the end of the day, it boils down to being a list of like modules, plugs, and then being invoked one after the other. And even like your router and like your controller are plugs underneath, right? So if you look at it and like find out, okay, well, how does this actually work? There is not that much magic to untangle to, to find out, hey, okay, this is, this is what happens, which I found very, uh, very surprising when I, when I first did that. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Everything is plugs is the correct way of like explaining it. Like, yep, your router is a plug. And once, as soon as it gets to the router, once it gets to the endpoint, it is a sequence of plugs. Um, yeah. Even the rendering of view happens in a plug. If you actually inspect your connection in after like a request test and after a controller test, it will have a Phoenix uh, 
plugs attribute on it and it will show some underscore underscore phoenix view something like that and it, that it's responsible to render the view it's actually pretty awesome i'm going to use this as a shameless plug for my, <laughs> my book um, um, which, pun which, intended <laughs> yeah shameless plug right yeah so if people think phoenix is magic uh, like i did a while ago i'm actually currently working on a book with pack publications which teaches you how to build your own web framework and elixir again i've already talked about it once before on this podcast but just wanted to give that make that again plug again <laughs> so uh I'll, i'll keep you guys posted how it's coming but yeah yeah maybe we can just drop a link into the, the show notes also if people want to check it out yeah i actually i'm not sure if there's a link we've only worked on oh, it. okay <laughs> i'm just trying to i'm just trying to uh, create a little bit of hype for that <laughs> Let me know if, if it likes becomes available. I'm, I'm, I'll certainly take a look at it. Awesome. Yeah. Anything else like we can talk about here? Anything else with like any stories left to tell? Uh, I mean, we have essentially touched everything. Yeah. I mean, maybe one thing left. We uh, one thing we can talk about is that I feel like just by the nature of like the runtime, the Erlang VM, and like all the good work which has been which has went into like OTP and Erlang and like being as performant and like as resilient as it is. Um, you, you have this, this relatively straightforward onboarding experience and starting to write your app. But then at some point, like if, if you actually, like if you build like a startup and your product becomes successful, right? Elixir and the runtime especially is there to like scale with you. And I feel like, While, of course, you can also scale with different technologies. I mean, just look at GitHub, for example, which is still using Rails to this day and very successfully so. But at least from, from what, what I've seen is that Elixir can push you a lot further with less effort when compared to maybe like some more tra traditional technologies. And like that's, that's a very powerful combination, right? Where I say, okay, I, I can start off relatively easy, of course, not as easily as Rails and like the plethora of like gems in there. So that's certainly not, not a position Elixir is in yet. But if you stick to like a well-worn and the well-known path, then uh, you can go very far, very quickly. And when you come into a position where you actually have to, to scale and where you actually have to handle different load scenarios, then, then the beam and all the tools there are in your reach and can, can help to achieve these goals without maybe some of the growing pains, which, which usually come in such a scenario. That's very well said. Yeah. Elixir with less effort will help you get a lot further than something like Ruby on Rails will. Yeah. Yes. So the, the, this was like little fun story, like tangentially related to that is like a, a former colleague of mine had this like little small Elixir app running in production for a while, like for a personal project, right? And then at some point he just found out that, that like sometimes there were some, some load spikes, which like crashed a few things, but he like they only found out, I don't know, like months later when he looked at the logs because then OTP just restarted everything. <laughs> so that was like a nice little experience for him like seeing okay like in a different scenario we'll probably have to handle you have to jump the gun they have to have, have to i don't know assetation to the server and like restart things yourself and like maybe set up some monitoring and like make sure that things get restarted if they crash and like otp just did that all of that for him and he like didn't even notice <laughs> until he looked at the logs so just to give like a one little story where the runtime really delivered on some of its promises and so yeah if some of our listeners like i uh, have not yet used elixir or like feel like i don't know like i don't want to lose elixir elixir is like an overkill for this app just give it a try 
Um, there's also like a actually I'm gonna share that on the, in the in the show notes. There's like a super interesting article from engineer at Spotify where they like wrote an Elixir service like as a prototype thing for for some of some met internal metrics application which like gathered data and gathered metrics from a lot of other services inside of their their infrastructure. And like he, he tells this interesting story also about how he used some performance tooling by the Beam because he, he found out that the, the Elixir prototype had like a bottleneck and he found that out very, very quickly actually by, by the tooling given for, through the Beam. And then at some point he like he put that into production and then like, I don't know, divert, redirected like some percentage of the traffic to this prototype. And like the thing didn't even break a sweat. So he just went like full, full on crazy mode and just like redirected all traffic to this, uh, to this prototype. And that prototype just happily chucked along. Like it just did its job. And the, like the, the former thing they had running there was like a super high performance tuned Java thing, which like really like a lot of very smart people spend time on like making it as performant as possible. And then just this, this guy comes along and like writes this Elixir prototype, like the first time writing Elixir and then fixes this one performance bottleneck and boom that just works so i, I feel like that tells that, that tells you a lot about how far the, the runtime can push you even if you don't feel comfortable with a lot of the nitty-gritty details of odp so i'm going to link that in the show notes because i feel like that that might help a lot of people like maybe jump jump the gun and like to try it out right yeah that's a very very good story sasha looking forward to reading that article um, yeah, one thing I, I do think, just as a negative, one thing uh, I mean, I think we've talked about it quite a bit. Just uh, that would really make it look so amazing. Would be obviously the a good type system. Oh boy, yeah. <laughs> yeah and, and that's also a very good segue to the shout out for our next podcast. It's going to be, I think it's the next one. We're going to have Louis Pilfer. I think next uh, in our next podcast, the creator of Gleam. Yeah, and, so, and like he he's trying to bring a, a static type system to the beam. And I'm very, very curious to, to like hear his thoughts on that. Yeah, me too. Okay, I guess we can wrap it up here. Or is there anything else you'd like to, to talk about, Adi? I'm all set. All right. Hey, folks. I don't know if you've noticed, but I've been working a lot on figuring out how to help people become the most valuable developers on their teams or becoming the top 5% of developers in the field. If you're looking to level up, figure out how to contribute more, get the career you want, get the career that you want that will support the lifestyle you want, then you should check out the Most Valuable Dev Summit. I've invited some of my friends across the community, people that you've heard of, people that have worked on systems that you use on a daily basis, people who have invented new ways of doing things over the years in programming, and I've asked them one question, and that question is, how do you become a top 5% developer? How do you become one in 20 of the best developers out there? And so we're going to go ahead and have that conversation with them in interviews on the Most Valuable Dev Summit. And you can find that at summit.mostvaluable.dev. Then let's go to picks. So, Adi, is there anything you'd like to, to pick for us this week? Yeah, I have a very, it's a relatively simple blog post, but it's very effective. It's uh, written by one of my coworkers, Hassan is his name. And uh, it's a very cool blog post where he shows how you can split phoenix router into multiple modules in a more manageable way it's important to i think at least read that because i think i know uh with the rails background phoenix routers can tend to get huge and less less manageable so uh, i would encourage people to give that a read 
the link will be in the description. Yeah, nice. I don't have any specific picks this week. I've been very busy like the past week with um, a lot of things that have been going on here in Germany because in my part of Germany, Northern Westphalia, there has have been floods last week, like insane floods, like uh, floods of a level which has not been seen before and a lot of houses in my neighborhood went underwater and which we were so I spent a lot of time like helping neighbors like just throwing away stuff from their cellar which were completely underwater and I just like to use this opportunity to say hey climate change is something which like affects all of us and there is a lot of good work happening like in, in various organizations like Greenpeace or so on and so forth and I just like asked to ask every listener to like maybe have a chat with with, with, with their parents, with, with, with folks they like to consider climate change when the next time they, they go to the voting booth. Because like very in September, there's like voting happening in Germany. There's an election, the general election. And if we have any listeners from Germany, I'd like to like say, okay, just remember that things like this flood is it's just going to become more common the further we go on the climate change scale. So I'd like to consider this the next time. I'd like, I'd like to ask you to consider this next time you, you cast the vote. That's, that's all I'd like to say for this week. Okay. Actually, I'm sorry about that. I got one more pick. Yeah, sure. <laughs> no, no worries. So keeping on the EU theme, there is a LuxaCon EU happening soon. And I know they're looking for volunteers. And if anyone watching this wants to attend the Luxa conference, I want to see how it feels like you can do it for free if you volunteer. I'm uh, going to paste the link to the volunteering form in the description as well. But yeah, I, I'm giving a talk there, by the way. Uh, I'm still volunteering. It's, it's uh, I think it's a great way to com- con- contribute to the community to help organizers of these conferences in any way possible because they, they work very hard to make sure these conferences go well. Yeah, nice. That's a, that's a good pick. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Okay. So folks, I hope you enjoyed the episode and tune in next time when we come together for Elixir Mix. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.